Welcome to Tartan Talk with USA Kilts, our interview series where we chat with interesting people in the Celtic heritage scene, industry insiders, artists, influencers, you name it. Come with us as we highlight unique perspectives and inside stories. So sit back, grab your beverage of choice, and enjoy the conversation. So, Scotland. <laughs> how, yes. how, long, how long had it been since the last time you were there? I mean, honestly. Last time I was there was 2012, I think. It was the year before Liam was born. It's a long time. So, yeah, been about it's 12 a really years. long time. Yeah, the majority of the reason why I went, obviously, well, for business purposes, was for the trade show. Mm -hmm. um, and since we had a kid, it was difficult to, you know, break away. And I didn't exactly want to abandon Kelly with child for a week when I go gallivanting around the globe. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because it's all, it's all, you're just up there with the exactly. cocktails. And indeed, the, indeed. Went on each arm. And, exactly. You know, I know what these trade shows are like. Yeah, I do. Actually, I have no clue what these trade shows are like, so I'm going to yeah. ask you about that. But, um... So this is so you did this as a family vacation as well as a trip to the show. Yeah, a little bit of both. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So was it what was it like preparing Liam for the idea of traveling internationally? Uh, I didn't have to prepare him at all. He okay. Was, he was all in. It's yeah. Okay. Great. I get to see Scotland. This is gonna be awesome. Can I see England? Can I see Ireland? Can I see Germany? Can I see? What oh, I? Want, okay. oh, he wants to see everything. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He's did... he's his mother's son in the loving history, loving the world, wanting to see cool stuff. Kind of angle. He was a bright lad that time. So he, um, was there anything in particular that he was really looking forward to? Or that um, he specifically asked you if, if you could see? Yeah, basically do? castles. He wanted to see the sure. historical stuff. He, you know, we okay. watch, you know, documentary things on TV and on, right. you know, on Netflix and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. So there's, uh, in period dramas. So he wants to see, you know, the castles. He wants to see, you know, he wanted to see the Sterling Heads. Um, they're like the wood carving yeah, okay, heads and okay. stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, just castles in general. He's kind of, he's not like, I need to see knights. Um, and, you know, it's not that. It's more just the, I want to see the cool old stuff. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we, we like seeing things here. We like going to um, old things in the U.S. But it's obviously we don't have nearly as much of a history as, you know, a, a castle right. in, built in 1440. Right. Or, you know... <laughs> That's, Those kind of things. That's what that's what Eddie Izzard always says. He says, "Yes, I'm from Europe, where the history comes from." Yes, you know, we all live in castles here. So, what what was the logistics like for the trip? I understand there were. I know. I know that when you flew over, there was a story with your luggage. Yes. So, but for, from a business standpoint, what were you? What were your goals for going back to the trade show after all this time? Yeah, um, goals for a trade show are just. I'm not typically a huge buyer at trade shows. I okay. like to go down there and collect all the data. So look for new suppliers, look for new catalogs, look for new products. Mm -hmm. I got to see the Glen Affric tartan before, you know, it was released to the world kind mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. um, well, the, <laughs> the House of Edgar version of it. Right, um, right, the repro. <clears throat> yeah, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's just, it, it's fun to go and just geek out with people in the industry who geek out with the same stuff that I geek out on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the marketing of things, as well as the new products, as well as the revamping old products, as well as just talking about the process of creation and creating new products. Um, so that's, that's part of the fun bit of it. Mm -hmm. And then let's say market research of while we're there over the week, also visiting other suppliers who may not have been at the show 
or going into different kilt shops in the, in Scotland to see how they have things set up, how they market things, and just sort of see how we fit into the equation or how we stand out from the equation. So from a retail, yeah, from that in that sense, from a retail standpoint, but from yep. talking to suppliers from a macro business standpoint of like you know, was there anything? Well, let me back up a second. How many people attend this thing and? Are your goals similar to other people's or are they looking there to actually make specific hard deals with people or what? I mean, sometimes um, most suppliers, I'd, I'd hazard a guess 60, 70% of the suppliers go just to collect data and find okay. new things. Okay. Or they might place a few orders, but they also want to collect data from new suppliers. So. Mm -hmm. If uh, Aaron Knits or Sal Knitwear is at a trade show, I may have an idea of the things that I want for the fall season. So I'm gonna go in and be like, okay, I'm gonna sit down for an hour, go through their new catalog and say, okay, okay. I like these six styles. Here's the size ranges I wanna place as an order, ship it to me in, in August. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's others that it's just kind of like, hmm, I like this, I like this. Let me see what other sweaters other people offer. So I'm just gonna take the information and then make a decision later on. How how fast does it turn over though? I mean, aren't you likely, I mean, just on a year to year basis, aren't you likely to kind of see, to see mostly the same stuff that you have before? I mean, how, how exciting is it or how unusual is it to have a completely new product show up for many of these guys? The, <clears throat> every year there's, a, year to year to year on a trade show, mm -hmm. there's usually a couple new companies. It's not usually like a wholesale change of, you know, sorry for the pun, it's not usually <laughs> a wholesale change of all new vendors, okay. um, but it'll be a couple new people, a couple new companies and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, the But each company will have, typically speaking, will have some new products every year. So you get to see the brand new products, like House of Edgar had Glen Affleck and their, their new whole collection. Um, Lock Heron didn't have any new tartans, but Martin Mills had some new tartans and some new tweeds. Okay. Um, so they get to just showcase the new stuff and get vendors excited about that. Um, the uh, so yeah, it's not it's not so much a matter of needing to place an order right then. It's more of an aspect of seeing the new products from the new vendors. And if you're you know, I'm going to use the sweater example again. If I'm looking for, okay, well, I'm not super thrilled with our existing sweater supplier, or they don't do as many women's products, so I want to find another sweater supplier that offers more women's styles, then this type of place is a good place to go to find other suppliers. And it's like, oh, well, my supplier doesn't have, you know, a, a, a regular cable knit sweater with tweed patches on the shoulders, but this guy does. And he also offers this, this, and this in women's wear. So we can buy these five or six styles from this guy and to supplement our existing designs. Um, or if you're having problems with the supplier, it's okay, well, let's, you know, I don't like our current supplier of this product. So now let's go look for other companies that do the same thing or do something similar to sort of hedge your bets. It sounds like speed dating. I mean, and seriously, I mean, is it weird? I mean, seeing some supplier that you haven't used in a while and, and like you're just like, oh, hey, Joe. Or does it, do people just take it in stride if you're shopping around and, and they say, hey, I got this sweater. And you're like, oh, I already made a deal with John over here for this one. Sorry. Um, a little bit mm -hmm. weird. Uh, I remember seeing one or two companies I used to deal with 15 years ago, or okay. we used to deal with like 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of like smile and wave as you walk past. 
Um, mm. But it's it, as long as you don't leave anything on bad terms, it's not awkward. It's just business. It's we're no longer carrying this particular product. You know, we're carrying this one now. Mm -hmm. Just like if somebody says like, "Hey, I want to buy a Pakistani kilt, an acrylic kilt." And you know we aren't able to offer that to a customer. I know that they're going to go buy it somewhere else. But right. when I talk to them on the message or on the forums, message boards, <laughs> the, when I talk to them on the uh, uh, like the kilt groups, um, I'm not offended that I see somebody with a different supplier's product. Okay. So. And how many how many suppliers versus uh, retail operations are represented at this thing? How many? What's the, what's the um, breakdown of what's the population? There's. It's this particular trade show is just Scotland and it's a food as well as um, oh, clothing trade show. That. Yeah, so huh. I would say half of the vendors there are food vendors, but we don't do food, uh, and it's mostly <laughs> it's it's mostly for the companies in the UK. Okay, so that's okay. where they go to shop for products for their own stores as well. Okay, so is it? But is it very crowded? I mean, how important is this trade show to? both sides to the suppliers and to the the buyers it's it's important enough that they do it but it's not okay. so important that like the industry would evaporate if it didn't occur okay um like i haven't gone for 12 years and the reason i didn't yeah. go you know aside you know family concerns aside was because we already had and have existing relationships mm -hmm. with all these suppliers mm -hmm. um so i already know what they have coming out or i can email them hey can you email me your catalog or what do you have new for this year and they're just going to gotcha. sh like share that information with me anyway this is just a chance to hobnob and have a drink with them after the, is, know, say, is, is, the is the facetime important though um yes it's it's more important and less important depending on who you ask okay. um i like it from an aspect of again getting to nerd out with people who mm -hmm. care about the same stuff mm -hmm. that i care about so to me, the FaceTime's important. There's another trade show that we do in the States, up, uh, in, uh, up near New York City. Mm -hmm. um, and that one, again, it's fun. I would say 25% of the vendors or 20% of the vendors who are at the Scottish show are there. There's an oh, Irish okay. trade show okay. around the same time. And then there's you know, a bunch of Irish vendors at this uh, one near New York City. So there's, there's industry trade shows. And I remember when we first started in business, I didn't know that trade shows existed. Um, oh, okay. So I didn't know. I just had to figure out, you know, you know, okay, well, you know, looking at pairs of socks from other companies. Oh, here's a label. Okay, I'll contact that company. Okay, see what a wholesale account, you know, if they offer a wholesale account, how can you do that mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. and move forward. Okay. Um, but the, uh, yeah, it's not greatly important. It has to exist, but it, it doesn't hurt. It definitely helps. Okay. Um, and being able to see and touch things in person. Um, that part makes a lot of sense to me. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's the main, the main thing is making sure that the, the products that we're bringing in or that we want to bring in, um, are of the quality that we want to carry in the store. Okay. Cause you know, heaven forbid I order $10,000 worth of sweaters and they come in and this, they're all scratchy wool or they're all acrylic or they're yeah. all in, like I screwed something up or right. they were you know they didn't uh, accurately describe what the thing is or the fit is off mm -hmm. so the trade shows give you a place to physically go put things on try it you know look at the seams on the inside look at the tags you know feel the material they say it's cashmere but is it really you know there's mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. you get into the details Boots of it, on the ground kind of yeah. yeah okay so so 
as far as the nerding out is concerned and connecting with these people, and, and some of them you haven't seen in years, so I suppose, what were your favorite moments this year in terms of like talking to people or meeting new people, geeking um, out? Yeah. Um, the coolest thing was um, seeing some of the people that have started at companies that I've never met before. Okay. Um, getting to speak to new people at Martin Mills um, who I've never physically met in person or uh, getting to reconnect with Simon over at House of Edgar, getting to see Bill Whelan, getting mm -hmm. to see um, uh, Dawn from La Caron, who's their, man I think, managing director. I'm not sure of her title, uh, but I never got to meet her in person. So okay. it was cool to be able to actually, you know, shake the person's hand, look them in the eye, and then you know, <laughs> get out about stuff. So it's good for the relationships. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Person. Okay. Yeah. Um, and reconnect with older suppliers like the guy from you know, Glen Appen, looking at all the different tweeds that they offer and talking to him about you know, the British market versus the world market and you know how you know, these bags and these patterns sell in the U.S. versus other okay. places in the world and how uh, you know, the Harris tweed tags on the outside of the bag versus the inside really moves the needle on sales because people want to you know, show that they have a Harris tweed bag. Little tiny details that make you, you know, your, your marketing brain just kind of fire in different ways and they're like, mm -hmm. oh, that makes sense. Yeah, okay, now how do I apply that to what we're doing? Okay. Or how do I, you know, internalize this information to, you know, put that as a little nugget in the back of my brain to pull out later on. Gotcha. So was there anybody that you socialized with at the show? So the show itself was pretty much encapsulated for, for us to the Sunday. Um, I, I, want, I promised Kelly that we're not going to do all business all the time on this trip. <laughs> it's, I, I am going to make it a bit of a family vacation. So mm -hmm. we did all of our trade show stuff on the Sunday. Um, so people wanted to take me out, like House of Edgar wanted to have coffee after the show, or after, you know, five o'clock when it shuts down kind of thing. A lot of Karen wanted to you know, go out, wanted to take me on a tour of the factory, you know, of the mill and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, I'm going to have to save that for another trip, politely declined. Nope, we, you know, I'm doing everything today. And then we're on an agenda. We're, we're running around the country for a week. Okay. How hard are you to impress at this point? In terms, I mean, I mean, you, I mean what, what does it take for somebody who's a supplier to show you something that you're just like, ooh, oh, wow, hey, no, that's good. It's, it's or are you not... jaded? I mean... I'm, I'm jaded to some degree as, as anyone being in any business for 20 years will eventually get jaded. Mm -hmm. um, I'm always looking for things that are different and or of a certain quality within a certain price point. Okay. So I don't want to, I'm not going to just jump from supplier to supplier to supplier to supplier just to chase the next thing mm -hmm. um, because then you don't have any built-in loyalty with suppliers, which also okay. means that you won't be able to have a you know preferred pricing, shall we say, for particular products. Um, and or you know call in favors like hey I need this thing but I need you to bump me up in the queue and I need this out the door within a week I have a customer who really really needs something mm -hmm. they're willing to do that favor for us if we're spending you know hundred thousand dollars a year versus two thousand dollars a year and we're sporadic in our orders gotcha you know, I'm trying to utilize our size and relationships to our advantage and give them you know a a win-win scenario mm -hmm. um, like. Um, I don't know if I want to use this part, but I'm going to say it anyway. Okay. The uh, uh, one thing that we kind of, and I, I think I've used this phrase with you before. I use it with suppliers all the time. Mm -hmm. Things only make sense if it's win-win-win. 
If the customer wins, if USA Kilts wins, and if the supplier wins, mm -hmm. then it's a good relationship. Mm -hmm. If one or two of the three win, but somebody loses, it's not worth doing. So I can beat a supplier up and get, you know, cloth for $10 a yard, um, but they're going to lose. And then they're not going to want to supply me or do right. me any favors. Right. So I have to make sure there's enough meat on the bone for the suppliers. Um, also, if, you know, if I'm paying their full price and I'm charging the customer a dollar above cost, then USA Kilts loses. Or if I mark it up crazy and the supplier wins and we win, the customer loses, then, you know, nothing is going to work. So it has to be win, win, win across the board. So I let that kind of inform all of my relationships and all the ways that I do business with all of our companies over in the UK. I want to offer a reasonable number of offerings from different suppliers, but keeping in mind that we have to buy enough from any one supplier to make sure that we are properly supporting them and doing a good job representing their product and being loyal to them as suppliers um, so that we can have a win-win-win across the board. So you want to, your, your goal is to be reliable. Yeah. And then if you're reliable, that will they will return in kind theoretically because yep. they yep. know they know it's in their interest. Okay. Yeah, but Makes I sense. like I like finding new products. I like finding things that are different. I like finding companies that are new that are doing things in different ways or entirely new product ranges that no one else thought of doing before. Mm -hmm. Like the one I saw was the uh, uh, the geometric shape stag head and thistle and okay. you know those things at the trade show and I was like. You know, I, it's not 100% for me. I don't love it myself, but I could see other people liking it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very different from everything else that we're doing. It's not going to step on the toes of any existing suppliers. So I might try that, adding a few of them into the range and see what happens um, and open up relationships with different suppliers doing different things. Should we be expecting anything? special or new this year because of this trade show um good old usa kilts yes it's mm, it's one of okay. the things where okay. uh uh one thing that's kind of been my goal you know back in my brain this year specifically is find new and different products mm -hmm. if there if there's something we offer that you know we, we've sold for 20 years and it's kind of you know petered out in yeah. sales it, it's it's lifespan so to speak then maybe we discontinue a couple different buckles, but we want to replace them with cool new different buckles. Sure. So finding new things or innovating either on our own with exclusive products or just finding new suppliers of different things, adding them to the range, putting a few of them out there and just kind of seeing what happens. Okay. So test, test and verify. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yep. Now test you said, verify, repeat. There you go. So you said this is a food trade show. I have to ask, do you go all Homer Simpson and eat samples the whole time? No, I was, I was, <laughs> Liam and Kelly did, yes. They said, they were over there in the food section, and they were like, like, the food section is the fun place to be. I and <laughs> Liam said something about wanting a meat pie, and they was, he was standing around three vendors who all sold meat pies, and they're all like buddy-buddy and back and forth, and they're all like shoving meat pies in my kid's face. Like, have you got to try this? No, no, try this. Try this thing, too. You haven't had this yet? Try some maggots. Like they were all trying to feed them all these different things and different sweets, um, like muffins, all kinds of stuff. And Kelly's like, we're not food, we, we don't buy food. Like, no, 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 but it's his first time here, he's gotta try it. So it's, it's like- Get them while they're young. It, it's overly friendly. Um, even, even the vendors within themselves 
it's a very small industry and to a degree on the Highlandware side as well. Okay. Um, a lot of the vendors know each other. So it's not, there's a competitive spirit, but there's a respectful competitive spirit. Okay. Where, okay. Like, okay, you're coming out with this new thing. All right, that's your thing. We'll do something new, but it'll be a little bit different than yours. Um, or, you know, we're going to do, you know, we see that everyone else has these types of belt buckles. Let's do something a little bit different with our range to make sure you're not just, you know, watering down the existing market. Mm -hmm. You got to expand it. You got to grow it. That's refreshing. Yeah. I mean, the idea of a, 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 a healthy, respectful competition yeah. is very refreshing. Yep. I mean, we get so cynical over here about, you know, the, the, the stab in the back corporate world. So that's cool. Yeah. How long is it? How long are you there? You only did one day, but we're talking like a five-hour day, a seven-hour day, a twelve-hour day. Oh, it day. was nine a.m. to five p.m. That's it. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was. It was a full day. Okay. The, um, it was the first day of the trade show. Um, S Storm Aisha, I think it was called Aisha, uh, or whatever it was. It's basically like gale force winds, torrential downpours. Um, kicked off the day we got there. Mm. So it was just the trade show itself wasn't the beginning of the trade show. If you got in early, it was fine. Kelly and Liam left at like two o'clock, three o'clock to go back to the hotel and they were blown across the parking lot. Liam was joking, like serious, but joking like, I jumped up in the air and got blown two feet backwards. We were like walking into the wind Whoa. to get back to the hotel, which is like 200 yards from the, uh, from the event space. Wow. Um, but by the time I got out, it was just spitting kind of rain, still pretty windy, but uh, there was power lines down, there was trees down, there was, um, train services all disrupted, so a lot of the different vendors couldn't get back home and or the people that were going to come out and relieve them on Monday couldn't get there because the train service off the left coast wasn't running. Wow. <laughs> so it was like hurricane style, but it's not a hurricane because it's not a tropical storm. Got it. Got yeah. it. Traveling to Scotland, and this, this trip particularly, okay, just for, for those of us who want to go, um, flying over high points and low points, good parts, bad parts, things you got to do to be ready, things you totally need to avoid and hope don't happen to you. Um, a don't fly out during a snowstorm. <laughs> okay. Um, so the British Airways, uh, we took British Air, uh, there was definite positives and definite negatives. The positives were, uh, our flight was delayed. Uh, by a couple hours, they made up a good amount of time on the way over, but our connecting freight flight from Heathrow to Glasgow was missed. Oh. They run that flight every like two hours. So when we walked off the plane, there was a table literally waiting there in the concourse before you got like really, really out of four or five British Airways employees saying, anyone miss connecting flights? Anyone miss connecting flights? And okay. we just like, oh, we didn't know what we were going to do. Great. We just walked over to the table and they're like, what's your name? And we Rager, and they said, oh, okay, hold on, boom, you missed your flight. Here, we booked you on the next flight. We have your bags being transferred over. We also have $10 coupons for each of you, or 10 pound coupons for each of you to go get some food while you're waiting for the next flight. Here wow. you go. Well, that's where great. you go. Yes, it was absolutely wonderful. If they would have transferred the bags. Oh. So when we, uh, <laughs> when we got to Glasgow, the bags were not transferred. Um, Oops. So, um, the one, one tip that I will give people is make sure that your carry-on luggage measures whatever the airline says, you know, it must measure this mm -hmm. for your carry-on and then for your, for your purse slash backpack slash hand 
hand luggage kind yeah. of thing. So there's two things. Make sure that you're measuring the bags, like the outside of the bag, not the overstuffed bag, because Kelly's bag was stuffed, her carry-on luggage. Oh. And so they said, nope, you can't bring it on in a flight. You have to check it. I see. Um, and they gave us, gave us a little bit of a stink about that. No, 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 we are like, we'll, we'll transfer some of the stuff out. Nope, we've already weighed your other bags. Just care, give it to us. We're, we're going we're gonna to check the bag. Okay. And when we got to Glasgow, that was, we had three bags, four with her hand, you know, her roll-on, her carry-on luggage. Mm -hmm. So they lost all four. Oh, and three of those four arrived on the next flight. Her carry-on, which had all of her expensive clothes, all of her toiletries, all of her makeup, all that, oh, her man. curling iron, all that oh, stuff, man. that got sent to France. Jeez. <laughs> oh, so it took a little European tour. Wow. Um, how long? How long? So you got back? Um, they delivered it to the hotel the next day, but she okay. was you okay. know, understandably freaked out about it. They're gonna yeah. lose it in my dress and da 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 da. da. Um, so we had to go to you know the Boots, which is their like CVS Rite Aid kind of grocery store uh, or. Uh, uh, pharmacy so we got a curling iron and the necessities for her for the night you know mm -hmm. for the night that she was going to be missing it but okay. we didn't know if they were going to find the luggage or not so it was it was a big long story wow you know more than i care to regale but the uh yeah they delivered to the hotel the next day so we did get the stuff okay while while we were at the trade show it arrived okay and the nervous factor was we were leaving glasgow on the monday so if we didn't get the bag that day it was done. Like, forget it. Mm. So, because then they were gonna have to try to follow us around the country because we were mm. going to Sterling the next day, then up to Inverness for three days, and so. Gotcha. Yep. Now you drove. Yeah. Can you okay? okay. Got a uh, uh, rental car with uh, a manual, the stick shift rental car. Right. So the I had a little discussion with uh, Simon, the House of Edgar, about manual cars versus uh, automatics. Mm -hmm. And over there, it is much, much more like weird to me, weirdly common to have a manual vehicle. Like they, Simon estimated 50 or 60% of the cars in the UK are probably manual with 40 or 50% being automatic. Where here in the US, we're probably 90, 10. At this point, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. sports cars or, you know, yeah, that's essentially it. Everything's almost automatic. Wow. So I found that a little... Can, like, just like, huh, wouldn't have thought about that. Um, but I grew up on a manual. I learned to drive on a manual, so I find it fun. And then, you know, driving on the other side of the road, on the other side of the car, shifting with my left hand, it's, it's just a new, different experience. So mm -hmm. Kelly was uh, balking at the idea of us renting a manual, but I'm like, no, 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 I want to. It's going to be fun. It's something uh -huh. I want to physically do. Okay. It's not like... It's not like I'm doing it just to save money on the rental. It okay. is cheaper, but I okay. didn't just want to do it for that. I wanted to do it for the experience of doing it. Did you rent like a, a, a Lotus or a Land Rover or something cool like that? No, I forget what the heck we rented. Um, it <laughs> that was, memorable. <laughs> yeah, it, it was like a, a mid-sized car, hatchback-y kind of station wagon-y type thing. Okay. It, was, it was supposed to be a Ford, but it wasn't. <clears throat> um, so they have like a lot of different brands that... Um, some brands we've heard of, some brands we haven't, like there's Vauxhall, yeah. I know it's one we haven't, we don't really have here in the States, but they have Hyundai and they have Ford and things like that to rent as well. Okay. Um, but it's, all the cars are much, much, much smaller, um, and the parking spots are much smaller, the roads are much smaller. How smaller? Um, the parking talking? spots, like you, when you open the, like A, the cars are smaller, they're all like compact-ish, 
not all, but the vast majority are, are much smaller cars. Okay. Generally, broadly speaking. Okay. Um, and therefore, the parking spots tend to be a good bit smaller. So when you open the door, it's not like you know a ten foot wide spot where you just fling the door open and you jump out of the car. Okay. It's you're you're opening it slowly to see it'll door ding the car next got to you. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And if you're a larger person, then good luck. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what about the what about the roads themselves? I mean, driving. You went all over. It seems yep. like not all all over, but you went. You drove yeah. quite a bit. So I mean, um, a ton of roundabouts. So that's okay, something so you have to get used to. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, and figuring out when to get to the center of the roundabout versus staying at the edge, depending on how many, you know, where you're going to get off at the circle, um, takes a little bit getting used to. Um, so I probably cut a few people off by accident. Um, the, or, or they didn't know I was going to go where I was going to go. So I tried to signal everywhere I was going. Okay. The, um, so that the roads themselves tend to be, there's, there's less cars, there's more public transport, there's less travel, there's less suburbs so to speak okay so there are there are highways where it's like you know four lanes wide or whatever mm -hmm. but most places like you know going from you know sterling to inverness like a lot of that i guess there was one major highway that was like two lanes on either side of the road but then there's also going when we left inverness and came all the way down to glasgow there was we were on essentially a two-lane road what we would consider essentially a back road but it's still like a reasonable enough main thoroughfare that there's like one road between, you know, not one road, but there's one main direct route between like Inverness and Oban. Um, so we just kind of took that down or Inverness and Fort William, I guess. Okay. Um, so we took that road, but there's a lot of curves, you know, going with the landscape, um, following essentially the, the banks of the river or banks of either the river or the lock. Um, and then it's, yeah, it, it wasn't so bad this particular trip that there was like a bunch of pull-offs where you have to like pull off to let someone pass you the other direction Oof. not that narrow <laughs> but it's still you know they drive fast okay on narrow roads they're mm -hmm. used to it uh -huh. but it's it was off-putting for us the speed with which with which they were driving <laughs> that close to each Just other flipping around yeah these, these tight curves and stuff okay. yep is and it true about the sheep what about the sheep like you have to stop Driving because there's a herd of sheep crossing the road. Um, depend like not on a on a main thoroughfare, and for the most part, we took main thoroughfares because we went from city to city to city. Okay. Now, if you're going like between two little towns or back roads kind of thing, then yes, there was one where we got off uh, a highway on our way up to Inverness from Sterling to Inverness, and we got off the highway to get gas. And there was, you know, we were taking like a, a road parallel to the highway mm -hmm. and there was, you know, a, a, a fields on, on one side of us and kind of a, a mountain on the other side of us. And there was sheep. So we just kind of stopped in the road, put our hazards on, no, no traffic, no one was there. Um, but sheep were, they were crafty little buggers. They, they came, <laughs> they jumped out of the fence. Uh -huh. And then when this car started, you know, when we got near them, we wanted to stop and show Liam the sheep. So when we got near them, they like literally like jumped back through the fence. The fence wasn't broken; they just went through it. Right. <laughs> um, so they kind of you know again crafty little guys, but they were they were it was like six or eight of them in the road, and then when the car started approaching, they knew to get off the road. Got it. So okay. yeah, you have to if you're flying down the road, yeah, you have to stop for the sheep mm -hmm. if it's a back road. Main highways typically not nearly as much. What is your favorite part of the landscape? 
going between towns. I mean, what what is the your favorite part of the landscape driving in Scotland? Um, the the favorite part of the landscape would be if I got to see any of the landscape. Oh, okay, okay. It's Fair enough. when I'm you know I'm driving not just myself but my family, so I'd really rather not die. I'd rather not Good kill policy. any. Yeah. Killing, don't want to kill the locals. It's bad for international relations. Right, right. Um, but the, uh, uh, I wasn't able to see a lot of the landscape, so I would take advantage of some of the pullover spots and just kind of pull over and just, you know, kind of look around, get out of the car for a couple minutes. Um, and the, <clears throat> the one that, that absolutely stands out the most was on the way back from uh, Inverness down to Oban and down to uh, Appen was we were you know basically going you know following the bank of uh, Loch uh, uh, Loch Ness, okay, and there was a spot to pull over, and there was just a you know picnic tables, some some uh, uh, ch- uh, charcoal like barbecue pit things, and that okay. kind of stuff, and then a trail up up the side of the mountain mm. into the Scots Pine. Okay, and it was you know spinning down rain the entire time we were there. It was you know, it vacillated between torrential rain. And just spitting down misty kind of rain, um, which is not not the fine Scottish rain, weather. But, yes, fine Scottish yeah, weather. Yeah. But the uh, it's it's reasonably common for a January. It's just kind of fine misty rain, okay. um, and it kind of rained on and off. But <clears throat> so Kelly didn't want to get out in the car and hike, but Liam really wanted to hike in Scotland because we hike here in the U.S. on occasion. Uh-huh. Um, so he just wanted to see what was what was different there and what's different here. So we had a, a fun time just kind of off the side of the highway, walking up this trail. Um, you know, there's there's moss all over the trees. Mm. Um, it's you know the the ground has moss on it, and it's all like super super green, super lush, like spongy kind of moss. Okay. And it's the whole ground just kind of like bounced. If you walk on the moss area versus on the gravel. Um, like your feet just kind of bounce with it. Be like, wow. Great for people with arthritic feet. <laughs> great for your joints. That's on my way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just being able to kind of walk out in the middle of nature and just hear, you know, even though we're, we're close-ish to the road, we're only, you know, 150 yards off the road. Okay. But hearing, you know, minimal noise, just, you know, soft rain falling in a tree, the babbling brook of the water mm. coming off the mountain, feeding into Loch Ness, mm-hmm. you know, seeing these Scots pines, you know, towering above you, 100-foot trees, um, being able to kind of see through them a little bit and kind of just climb around in there okay. um, in a very serene, no pressure, the world doesn't exist, you know, natural kind of environment. That's, yeah. the, that's the, the thing that'll stick with me and I hope sticks with Liam as well. Mm-hmm. Did you, I mean, was, so he was suitably impressed? Yeah. Okay. It was just, but he was a 10, he was like 10 daddies high or something like that. Or 20, <laughs> 20 dads high the trees were. Okay. Uh, I'm joking around. He was, he was vlogging as well because his teacher told him he needed to uh, 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 give a presentation to the class. Oh, okay. Um, for okay. when he okay. got back. So yeah. we just went over that kind of stuff, what he's going to talk about. So he was okay. vlogging the whole trip. <laughs> so I, I think I, in spot, through my vlogging, I think I inspired him to vlog a bit as well. So there you go. Fun. There you go. No, nothing, nothing weird, though, happened with him. Um, the, the, with his vlogging, he was trying to, uh, he wanted to show, like, the river coming down off the mountain. So... Talking about the time you were, you were hiking. So you were hiking correct. up the trail, and Liam's got his camera out, yep. you said. And so 
and there was you know water because it was you know because these torrential rains it's been right. raining a lot the whole time we we're there so there's you know a rush of water coming off the mountain what i'm assuming was sometimes a creek is quasi river like mm -hmm. um rushing down the side of the mountain and liam wanted to capture this so i just see him kind of like oh i'm gonna go over here and walking over to like this sheer edge where like the water is coming down like 15 feet below and oh, I'm like, ah, your mom will kill me why don't you come back a little bit i cannot lose you here and if you jump in there or if you fall into the river you're going to be swept out then i'm going to jump in and try to see if we're both going to die i'd really rather not do this so you wanted the, the video so i'm kind of like holding the tree and holding his jacket while he's like kind of looking over the edge getting video That's uh, don't tell your mom i did this please well, it would be a proper vacation without at least one don't tell your mom moment, Exactly. Right? You know, let's brush with death between father and son. It's all yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a bonding moment. <laughs> okay, so you're done with the trade show, and the rest is family time. What is your first stop on your grand tour? Uh, first stop was uh, we drove over to Sterling Castle. Okay. Which was closed. Oh, shoot. <laughs> due, due to the storm. <laughs> oh, so, due to the storm. Yeah. Oh, okay, we got okay. there, and we're like, yes, we're going to get to go in. And the gates were closed, and uh, talked to a real nice lady right outside there. Basically said, yeah, the storm screwed up a lot of things, oh, um, wow. trees down, and Sterling Castle's on like the high point in Sterling. Yeah, yeah that's what you so do. We were uh, we were staying like at a little apartment essentially right behind Sterling Castle. So okay. we said, okay, fine, we're supposed to leave and do stuff tomorrow first thing, but let's you know get up early, get to Sterling Castle right when it opens, okay. and run around in there. That way we can still get out at a reasonable time and get up to Inverness before you know, the sun goes down. Okay. So we poked around Sterling Castle, we saw the Sterling Heads. We, you know, it's, uh, the, the impressive thing with specifically Sterling Castle and a lot of you know, the, the castles and, and historical stuff in Scotland in general, is the ability to like interact with the things. Really? So you're, it, you're There's not like lasers going off, you know, like like you know, step yeah. back. Whoop, whoop, whoop. No, there there are things where they're you know they have behind glass and it's like you can look at this but don't touch. Okay. But there's also like you're you're allowed to just like run your hands. It's not encouraged, but you can touch the wall of the castle. Wow. For okay. Sterling, you know, we there's a little you know guards walkway around the entire wall, outer wall of the castle, mm -hmm. and you can just walk down it and you know video, do whatever you want, take pictures, or you know just sit there, you know, sit there by the wall. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's neat walking in the footsteps of you know places where you know you know five five hundred years ago other people were walking these exact same footsteps mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and you know the guards were I, was, I just kept going through you know mentally looking like looking down thinking to myself what an imposing thing it must have been to be an invading army mm -hmm. trying to you know siege you know get into the castle and you know like there's you know sheer walls going down and then essentially cliffs or a steep 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 slope yeah. coming up yeah. you know and that's forgetting a moat you know, which also existed, uh -huh. but you know, having all of these things around the castle as defensive forces, as, as a structure, it's one of those like, wow, I can't imagine, you know, archers and cannons and everything firing down on me as right. I'm like, you want me to do what now? I got to get where? <laughs> yeah, no, right. no. Right, that's why you just lay siege and <laughs> just exactly. starve them out. <laughs> exactly. So, was that what who who nerds out more at a castle you or Liam or Kelly um probably Kelly the most but okay. Liam and I for for different reasons <clears throat> um just seeing 
Yeah, I'm thinking about you know certain things. Kelly's thinking about like Sterling Castle was like the seat of the Stewarts. Right. Um, so she's thinking from family connections and trying to impart a bit of that. <clears throat> on Liam as we're going through and you know, look at you know, the, the stained glass windows like hey look at all these different badges and these you know uh, for all the coats of arms uh -huh. you know these were you know, these were different stewards and you know the docents there were really helping we went going in January is key because you have the run of the place to yourself going the day after a horrible storm going while it's raining you have the run of the place or you know minimal interaction with other people so I love going off season a hundred percent. I will always, always, always suggest that. Okay. Because if you want to learn things mm -hmm. from the people that are there and have them explain things to you, mm -hmm. it you get to actually interact with them a lot more. So they have guided tours through the things, yeah, uh, which you can go on, and then they also have docents stationed at different areas that you can just ask questions to. So there was one guy in the Argyle Sutherland Highlanders Museum. And I was talking to him about the pleading, they had like pleading of their kilts, like military box plate, you know, examples on the table. You could actually touch it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I was talking to him about that for a little bit. And then we just got, you know, gabbing and he was asking what we did. And we kind of explained, you know, yeah, we have a kilt company in the U.S., you know, and he's like, oh, then we were talking about the Glen Affleck tartan and, you know, yeah. that. And he yeah. was, you know, we were kind of comparing notes on what he knew versus what we knew from House of Edgar and through talking to the V&A Dundee Museum. So it's, it's fun if you are really, really into it while being respectful of their time and being respectful of other tourists. Yes. To be able to connect with the people who are knowledgeable, who are there and ask the questions that it's difficult to find answers to mm -hmm. other than through experts like this who, you know, mm -hmm. do this stuff for a living. Mm -hmm. They actually do appreciate that too. I mean, yeah. you are respectful and, and asking good questions. Yeah. I think a, a lot of docents actually just, they, th those are the moments they thrive on is what I've found. And having been a presenter, you know, it's just like, Oh, thank the gods. They're actually somebody with an intelligent question for a change, you know? So, so yeah. that's so. Would you recommend like doing a little bit of research on where you're going before you go, instead yeah. of just relying on a tour guide or something like that? Yeah. Yes. It's well. Yes. It depends on what you want to get out of it. Okay. If if you want to have a passive experience mm -hmm. in Scotland, in Ireland, whatever, um, and you know, get a guided tour and have someone spoon feed you the most important information. And not worry about your schedule, not worry about where you're going to go or getting from place to place to place. Mm -hmm. um, and you want to see everything that this particular tour package has, great, do the tour package. Okay. If you are a student of history or you, wanna, or you have a family connection to a place and you want to learn a little bit more about particular things and don't want to do it within a group because you're going to be usurping the docent's time or your tour guide's time when 10 other people, 20 other people want to ask questions too, uh -huh. then yes, do your research first and don't go on a guided tour, but learn a little bit about Sterling Castle, why it's important. If it's your family was from there, find out why it's important, find out about a history about the castle okay. and learn some things. And then you get to go and see the things that you learned about in the book. And then you're going to get more questions that are going to come up okay. or you're going to say like, wow, was that, was that, was anyone ever killed here in this square? Or did anyone <laughs> ever get thrown over, you know, the edge of the castle or can you tell me a story and they'll be able to go into, or the ghost stories of a particular castle or Got things it. like that. And then they can show you, well, this is actually where it occurred right on this spot. 
um, or this cannon goes off at noon every single day because this thing happened or okay. and they can give you more and add to your existing base of knowledge if you go in tabula rasa no understanding no knowledge at all they can give you a base level if you already have the base level they can build on it so depends on you know what your desires are what you want to get out of the experience okay so we've gone to sterling castle day one and it's raining and yucky and you couldn't get in uh you got to go back the next day what about the in-between time? Uh, what did you guys decide to opt for in terms of lodgings and what did you do for food? Yeah. Typically throughout your trip. Um, <clears throat> Kelly tried to get places that have um, like apartment-y kind of things. We okay. could do hotels if you want to do hotels. We did that in Glasgow. Um, then what we did, uh, we, don't, we don't dig too much on bed and breakfasts. We like a little bit of privacy. So being in someone's house, we found a little off-putting for us. Okay. So we don't typically do that. Um, we're like, you stay with the people in their home. Yeah, yeah. We did that before, didn't dig on it too much. Um, so we rent, we, uh, she found places that you, we actually rented apartments because we were trying to bring a little bit of luggage and be able to do some laundry while we were there. Mm -hmm. um, so let's just say it was varying degrees of success because uh, when you stay in an apartment, you have to turn on the heat, you have to turn on the hot water, you have to turn uh, on all the stuff. Okay, um, okay. They had radiator heat, so we didn't... It took a while though. We couldn't figure it out before we went out to the castle, so then we got back and we had to contact the, the landlord, owner, or whatever, to figure out exactly how to turn on the radiator, and then it took a while for oh, it to wow. heat up and get up to full oh, temperature. Okay. And it was not exactly warm in there. Mm -hmm. So it was, there were challenges with it, to put it kindly. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and the laundry, they, they have a lot of the, the two-in-one washer-dryer together, um, and it took a long time for one load to get washed and through washing and drying cycles. It was okay. like four hours, five hours for a load of laundry. Holy cow. Yeah. Wow. So, and it was two different places. We had the same experience. Uh, had the same washer dryer thing. So not okay. a fan of the washer dryer. Kelly's okay. very, very anti washer dryer combo kit. Okay. Um, okay. But it's safe space. Yeah. I mean, a yeah, lot exactly. of <clears throat> a lot of their in in the UK it's it's a very, very different mindset. Everything is kind of minimized. The cars are smaller. The the washing machines take up less space because the homes and the, the dwelling areas are smaller. The refrigerators are smaller. They make there's, they, they think nothing of going to the grocery store, you know, two or three times a week just to get a few little things, yeah. you know, throw them in the fridge yeah. versus the one massive trip mm -hmm. that you do every week or every other week. Mm -hmm. And you have a fridge in your garage and a fridge in your house and then you have the freezer for the extra meats and that kind of stuff. Right. Nope. They have a small fridge, smaller, it's probably half to two thirds the size of ours, um, like an American site, you know, kind of fridge. Okay. Um, but it's everything is kind of condensed. They don't need as many things. They don't need as many as you know many pairs of pants or as many kilts or as many you know uh, shirts or you know the cars aren't the same size. All of that. Mm. It's all just kind of scaled down. It's it's less consumer and economy. So we really are decadent Americans, is what you're saying. Damn skippy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What about food? Um, what, was it, what, what, what would you recommend sure. somebody do for a fueling up because you're going to spend all day tour guiding or you know tourist stuff 
and then or a satisfying meal. Practical yeah. and treats. Let's <clears throat> divide it that way. Um, practical is when you're booking the hotel, find hotels with continental breakfast. Sure. Because sure. the food tends to be a little bit more expensive than it is here. It depends on the dollar pound ratio a bit as well. Mm -hmm. um, but if you find a place with a good continental breakfast, like the place we stayed in Glasgow, they had you know eggs, they had waffles, they had you know they had a full spread, not just cold cereal. Um, they had yogurt, they had fruit, they had meats, they had everything. Mm -hmm. um, so that and you you have a big breakfast to kind of fuel you throughout the day. You have a little peckish lunch and some coffee around you know, noon, one o'clock. Okay. Then you have a reasonable dinner. You can save a few quid that way. Okay. Um, the, the one thing you absolutely must do while in Scotland is have haggis. Period. Well, the, I, I would almost think that's a, that's goes without saying, but okay. It's a given. Yeah. Yes. But the, uh, they, the haggis there is different in the same way that you can say you know the guinness in ireland tastes different if you ever yeah, met yeah. anyone who's traveled to ireland, absolutely ever it's yes. nope the guinness tastes different in ireland it's mm -hmm. better it's better it's better um yes it is is it worlds different no it's still a stout it's still got a creamy taste to it yeah. but it does taste a little different mm -hmm. it's, it all comes down to the water now in scotland or in the u.s we have you know we have haggis but it's not sure. The exact same due to U.S. law, yeah. not being able to have heart and lung and that kind of stuff. Yeah, in organ meats. Organ yeah. meats mm -hmm. in the food, exactly. Um, but having it, I've, I've had haggis here and it's been good. Like yeah. The stuff yeah, that we've too. gotten from the show and stuff before. Mm -hmm. And it's it's fine. But over there, it is, they make an art of it. It's not okay. just haggis for haggis sake. Okay. It's not just on burn suppers with neeps and tatties. It is... A bre it's it's a de facto breakfast meat, as well as an hors d'oeuvre, as you know, fried haggis balls, deep fried haggis balls, versus you know, on on a on a, a bap or a roll with eggs, you know, for breakfast kind of thing, okay. or as as with you know, neeps and tatties for dinner, but it's also like kind of a base layer. I had one where it was haggis and neeps and tatties, kind of like in a in a cylinder, and then chicken, like a fancy chicken on top. Okay. Um, with like yeah. a, a whiskey gravy sauce. Yeah, I've always seen the um, photos of that kind of thing, but I never. Yeah. Okay, so but so they do everything with it. Yeah, they treat okay. it kind of um, a, as a side dish to the main dish, as something you know savory with it. So it's a it's a it's a different way of experimenting with their national dish. But it still um, tastes better. Yeah. The quality it, is. Yeah, I. It tastes it tastes different and. Like the deep fried haggis balls were Liam loved those. Okay. Like I actually got Liam to try haggis, which is amazing. Because <laughs> uh, the kid does not try much. But he okay. was like, no, I'm gonna try it while I'm here, fine. So we gave him the deep fried haggis balls and he's like, Oh, I really like this. Yeah, because it's freaking fried. Right. Of course right, you don't right. like it. <laughs> um, and then the next night I had haggis um, with uh, for a burn supper and oh, okay. he did have some of it and he was like it looks different. And I'm like, yes, because this is traditionally prepared haggis that was deep fried. So he had some and he still said, it's pretty good. I don't like, I like the other one better, but it's still pretty good. So. <laughs> everything's better fried. <laughs> exactly. Yes, indeed. That's, that's just a, that's just a truism. Yeah. yeah everything but, is better fried. Yeah. But you definitely, 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 if, if there's one takeaway, it's while you are in Scotland, you have to try the local cuisine, the local dishes, the local specialties. 
because and that's really true of anywhere you go. Absolutely. But if you're going to Oban, it's just a it's just a you know a fishing town. You definitely have to have fish. Even mm -hmm. if you don't like fish, you gotta force yourself to have some fish. <laughs> um, if you're you know no matter where you go, if it's a fancy restaurant, if they have haggis, try haggis at least once or twice if you're there for a week, just to try it and say you had it. Mm -hmm. um, even if it's just an appetizer, so it's not the whole meal. Gotcha. But yeah. you will remember it. I mean, it is memorable. Yeah. You're gonna have a memorable food yeah. experience that way. Absolutely. Okay. 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 So I I know already that you did go to Culloden. Tell me about sharing Culloden with the wife and kid, and and what was it like? The uh, uh, Culloden. Yeah, we went through the uh, museum or the visitor center there first uh -huh. um, to kind of get a sense of you know, the layout of the thing and see all the different artifacts that they found there and talk to, we talked to the one docent. I wish I would have videoed us talking to this guy because he was, he was probably late twenties and passionate about it. Really? Um, yeah. And he was just showing us how they would like, uh, make rope as well as, you know, dyeing techniques as well as showing us old, you know, bricks of coffee and tea. And like, he really, really was into it. And we okay. talked to him for quite a while. Um, and he was asking us questions again. We, we were talking about tartan cloth and weaving and that kind of thing. And he was going back and forth with us on questions. It was a great, cool conversation. Um, but we did the visitor center first. Saw you know uh, you know old sporins and targes and swords. And, okay. You know, okay. Ball, you know mini not mini balls, but saw you know cans and all kinds of musket balls. Stuff. Musket balls. Yeah. yeah okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, so saw a lot of that stuff, and then. Culloden itself is basically just a huge field, mm. so it is extremely windy. And there's paths through the field, and they have flags kind of planted yeah. around. Yeah, and there's some cairn, there are cairns for where the where some of the, the units died the most, like you know different different clans and stuff. Yeah, so. not really cairns. There's there's one big memorial cairn, for lack of a better term, okay. like stone cairn being stone structure. Yeah. yeah, there's that, and then there's little monuments like stone things on the ground. I see that are. I don't think they're qualified as cairns. Mm. That's why I'm saying it. Um, they're you know <clears throat> two foot high, two foot wide, and a foot deep, or something like that, as markers okay. um, for essentially close enough to where the individual clans were kind of you know laid out okay. um, for the battle. Um, and the one the the most disappointing thing about Culloden was me recording myself walking around and the emotional things that I was thinking and feeling while I'm walking around this kind of haunting, you know, sacred place for lack of a better term and the wind destroying any usable audio from me walking around. I had like all these great thoughts and I'm taking a tour and just didn't realize that the wind was hitting the mic and you couldn't, none of it's freaking usable oh, aside man. from the footage. Oh man. Um, but it's, yeah, it's kind of a, a cool and eerie place. Um, we were, Kelly and, and Liam kind of went off by themselves a little bit, then she went off by herself a little bit. So again, there weren't many people there because we were there in January. Um, so we kind of stayed together-ish, but a little bit separate. So okay. it kind of had a chance to, you know, process everything that was there and what was going on and what had occurred there um, and all the things we had just learned at the visitor center. Um, but it was, it's a weird, eerie feeling. It really, it's, it really is. I yeah. mean, people say that, but I, I never know if it's just them, you know, reading into it because they, you know, because they, they're a history nerd or something like that. But you're saying that like it, there, you had a visceral sensation that's creepy. It's, or 
It's probably oh. a little bit of both. Okay. It's when you go through the visitor center, you're understanding. You're like, okay, here's where the things were laid out, mm -hmm. and you know, there's a there's a stone, there's a farm that was on the thing, and the the British, you know, knocked down a wall and came like an outflanked the yep. Jacobites, and as they were retreating, they fired across the lines, kind yep. of thing. So you're you're thinking about these things, and you come across the actual you know, wall. Well, this is where that actually occurred, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking like, okay, well, like looking like right down here. Like there was guys running and it just sat there like picking them off as they're trying to mm -hmm. escape mm -hmm. and you know off into the heather and off into the into the woods around there. Um, so it is kind of a a weird feeling that's put in your brain having gone through the visitor center. If you just stumbled across it and were like, oh okay, what's this? Oh, it's just a big open field and walked around, you wouldn't necessarily be in that frame of mind. Okay, but. You may. So I'm not. I can neither confirm nor deny that there were ghosts following us around. <laughs> um, but it's you're definitely put in that frame of mind while you are there thinking about the things that you just thought about it in the visitor center. So you would recommend hitting the visitor center first. Yes. Before you go out and tour the field. Yeah. Because okay. it kind of it okay. gives you it gives you a good sense of where you're at and why you're there and okay. the 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 layout of the land. Okay. So. Uh, at the uh, towards the end of the visitor center, they have a big, big, big table with like moving, moving lines, like projectors on down on the table, yes. and it has moving lines. Okay, here's the Jacobites, and they advanced over the here. Then these guys came over this direction. Then these right. guys went forward. Then they had to retreat. And here's the British to come through around. Um, play so, by play of the battle. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And then you, but then you're thinking about like you know, as they're you know, doing all this, like. Oh, those those blue dots are no longer moving. Did they stay there? Oh no, those are all the dead guys. Yeah, and yeah. geez, that's a lot of them. And then like it shows like the speckles, like the the huge lines moving forward, and then the speckles retreating. And you you kind of get a sense of like, wow, like that's that was a massacre. Mm -hmm. Like they mm -hmm. routed them, mm -hmm. um, and kind of like putting yourself in in that space, being like, man, I, it's this is where it died. Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting and, and, and potentially a really, you probably just sold a lot of people, if anybody watches this, on, on going there. Because when I think of a battlefield, I always think of like Gettysburg. And it's been so manicured over the decades and it's so full of statuary <laughs> and built up ramps and tourist things and places to park and all this kind of stuff. That it, it's hard, it sounds like harder at a place like Gettysburg to get a sense of what really happened there versus this where you're just you're just there in the environment yes um yes and but there's there's reasons for it um mm -hmm. but when we were talking to the docent there uh we were uh, explaining that we lived near gettysburg and yeah. he he had a lot of thoughts and questions about gettysburg interesting and the the parallels the differences though like they're both historical sites they're both of great import the I like the way that Culloden does the markers better, yeah. Um, because it's you know it's it's small and, and unobtrusive. Mm -hmm. Whereas Gettysburg, there are big statues. Yeah, they're although, very, very Victorian looking. Yeah, but it's it's also to pay you know it's more you know hey we're going to list out everyone's names that were here. Right. Because we have more records for that than they did at Culloden. So yeah. like on the Stuart Vappen one, it's like here's the you know ten families we think stood with Stuart's Vappen. Um, and there's less records now also because they were routed um, also Gettysburg right I remember was over what three or four days yeah. versus Culloden was one day 
and Gettysburg was over a much wider landscape than Culloden was. Mm -hmm. So it's a much wider area to have to cover. So okay. you can take a car tour through Gettysburg yes. and you know go behind the different lines and see a lot of different things. Where Culloden, it's 15 acres. Okay. So maybe it's bigger than that even, but it's it's not like you know a county. Got it. Where <laughs> it's Got not it. you know 500 acres of different movements and different military doing different tactics on over three days and pushing back and then coming back this way. Um, it's just this is the field, okay. the broad field, but this is the field where all the people were. How does how does it feel in connection to the landscape and the community around it? in this day and age <clears throat> there's there's not much there and I, I forget the name of the town but it actually wasn't Culloden mm -hmm. Culloden house Culloden Moore was like the the closest big house manor house to the area okay. so the battle actually occurred on a on a land that had a different name and then they eventually said well we can't have Culloden battle and not call it Culloden so they changed the name of it to Culloden okay um, but what was your question how does it how does it incorporate with the the local landscape and the community around it compared to something like Gettysburg? Um, the the local community around it it's it's a lot of fields. It's Culloden is kind of like you come upon it. It's in the middle of nowhere ish. Okay. There's like little town a little bit away from it, like a few miles down the road. Okay. Um, but it's not, and there's a road obviously that goes past it to get to it. But it's not like um, in the middle of the suburbs or in the middle of a city. Okay. Um, the negative thing about Sterling and Bannockburn is Bannockburn is now covered. It's a suburb. Oh. So the area where they thought Bannockburn Battle was, or mm -hmm. Sterling Bridge was, the original Sterling Bridge, mm -hmm. they don't know the actual. They think they know it's probably this thing, but they don't know for sure. And the Battle of Bannockburn, when you're up in Sterling Castle, there's a map that's like, it's out there in those suburbs. Um, uh, right in in that area, okay. they they okay. know about where it is, but there's houses and stuff there now. Right, right. Um, Culloden, it's farmland, and the the government uh, years ago um, basically started um, gave them and the the, the historical trust, uh, uh, the Scottish historical trust, carved out and has carved off more and more and more land to preserve for the okay. battlefield. That sounds good. Over time. Okay. Um, but they have not been able to preserve all of it. Hmm. So the farmland that surrounds Culloden Battlefield, or some areas that surround Culloden Battlefield, um, which are either on the outskirts of the battle, or there's not a definitive, like, you know, yes, it was 100% here, but it might have been a field hospital, or there might have been somebody hiding there. Um, those areas are under threat of development. So okay. some of the areas have already started to be developed and others are still you know essentially developers trying to go through the process to get it developed and what the young gent that we were talking to was explaining to us because i was asking him specifically about this was some of the areas or the 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 local government in culloden battlefield historical trust um get on pretty well and the local government okay. the local council wants to help preserve things <clears throat> and wants to kind of push off the development um, and they've kind of exhausted, the developers have exhausted the process locally. And unfortunately, they have the ability to just say, okay, well, they're not letting us do it local. And then they kind of jump up the chain to the national level. Oh, and okay. the national 
government or, or Scottish government is less likely to help preserve. Um, they're, they're less, yeah, they're, they're less friendly with the individual historical preservation sites. Okay. Um, so they're like, eh, if you can't show that there was something actually occurred here, we're going to have we? to let them develop. Mm. Um, so it's, that is a, a contentious, to contentious topic over there right now. Mm. And on, when I was walking around, I was walking the edge of the battlefield and showing, pointing out like, this is where, this is the farmer's field that could eventually be developed. I actually, I got that in my tour of the battlefield. Wow. Yeah. And uh, how much, how much do you think is bad? How long is it going to, how much is it going to impact the experience? For people i don't know they're they're trying to a they're still fighting it it's not a foregone conclusion one way or the other mm -hmm. um and one thing that the, the 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 preservation is trying to do is preserve the land and return the land to what it would have looked like more during the battle okay um i i ran across a guy who was ripping out and cutting out all these bushes that were an invasive species that during covid uh, when no one was allowed to work there, they weren't allowed to go into their jobs. These, these, this vegetation just went rampant and started, you know, growing everywhere on Culloden Battlefield. So huh. he and two other guys were out there, like, you know, cutting it down and removing these these plants and this these weeds. It's like invasives. Yep, invasive okay. species. Okay. So uh, he he listed the two names of the of the the plants that they were, but again, lost it hmm. for for not being able to hear them. Got it. On the recording. Um, <laughs> So they're they're trying to preserve it and restore it to what it would have looked like back then. There, it's it's a bit of an uphill battle. They're going to be able to make some headway. They're going to be the vegetation. They'll be able to get back. The they'll probably be able to carve off some more land, but they probably won't be able to get the entire surrounding community back to where it was because, you know, it will eventually be developed. It's a small country. Yeah, yeah, and they have population pressure. Yep. Hmm sad but i guess uh i don't know can't live in the past i don't know yeah it's oh. you have to find a balance yeah. and and they're they're working out it's it's just opposing forces and they want more and the developer wants more so it's just it's all about compromise and finding the middle ground if there is one to be found mm -hmm. and you're you're you have two forces two forces with the exact opposite goals in mind yeah um yeah. and you're also telling farmers that I understand you own this land and it's been in your family for years and it's not a viable thing for you to be doing anymore, but you're not allowed to do anything else with it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's the individual, you know, individual level as well as developer, as well as preservation. Mm. It's all, it's a mess and I, I wish them luck with it. I hope they figure something out. Yeah, indeed. So was Clawden the only thing you did that day, or did you go anywhere else? Nope. Uh, right from Clawden, we went to the Clavacairns, which is oh, okay. like okay. 10 yeah. minutes maybe down the road. Mm -hmm. um, it is a, I want to say Neolithic, It's I forget the period, it is 4,000 years old. Uh -huh. okay. So there are okay. several large croppings of stone that did like outlander wow. stuff there. There's a bunch of standing stones. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, with uh, these, these three huge stone circles of like mounds of stone okay. with a single path. Two of the three have a single pathway and then a carved out section in the middle. So you actually go into the center of the thing. Okay. Um, I'm, I've not done any research on it, but both of the entrances aligned 
like facing the same direction. Gotcha. So there's probably some like a solar solar, solar alignment. Yeah, some okay. kind of some kind of solar alignment. Um, but there's it's neat watching. Uh, it's it's neat and sad simultaneously. It's neat being able to be there and and touch a stone that is four thousand years old and stood there for yeah. four thousand years. It's neat that there are stones. You know, essentially there's a there's a road sort of on the on the outskirt of it, and there's you know, stones on either side of the road that have been there, and the road kind of has a little little curve around it. So it's neat to watch how current day Scotland treats and respects their own history. Okay. And they don't just okay, well, so sorry, we need to put a road here. Let's move that stone and then leave <laughs> it there. They just kind of go around it a little bit. Gotcha. Um. The sad part is uh, the fact that it is an Outlander site. Um, you know, Outlander. Like the location stuff is in the show. Yeah, okay, for, okay, for okay. the Standing Stone thing. Uh -huh. um, there's, you know, there's there's a bit more traffic there now. Okay. Um, there, I know there's been some some stones taken from there. Oh, jeez. I know that there's uh, that we saw like you know a, a Fraser. Somebody put a little, so, like literally put flowers and a little Fraser thing by the one standing stone, like an homage to Jamie Fraser, like they're gonna travel back in time. Uh, um, so it's a little it's it's a little it's it's cool and I'm I'm happy for the tourist industry in Scotland what Outlander has done for it. <laughs> and I'm also I'm also disappointed in the tourists mm -hmm. for what they have done to the tourist sites, yep. so to speak. I'm very familiar with that one. Yeah. Personal so family it's, experience. So. It's, it's difficult because you want people to go there. You want them to have a meaningful experience. Right. Um, but you don't want to wreck it for the other people who are going to go there yep. or people a thousand years from now who are going to want to see the Clava Cairns um, that have stood for 5,000 years at that point. Mm -hmm. So, or if there's some kind of Evidence that you know some technology in the future could you know see into the stones and what the stones have seen. If we remove all the freaking stones, no one's yeah. going to see it. So yeah. Yeah. you yeah. don't know what you don't know for the future. So preserving it for as much as you can while you're there and making sure you know, you leave no footprints. Yeah, so take only speak. pictures, leave only footprints. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So how did how did Liam react to? I mean, what 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 spot did he have the strongest emotional reaction? Of all these historic sites you went to, the the probably not Culloden. Mm -hmm. um, he was excited to see the Stuart aspect in Culloden. Uh -huh. He liked. He was excited at Stirling Castle. He was okay. excited at Urquhart Castle on Loch Ness. He was excited to have the boat trip, but the different reaction would be the Clava Cairns and walking around in nature where it was a more serene thing, where he, like, when we were talking at the Clava Cairns, we were doing a little bit of vlogging back and forth, and I'm talking to Kelly about it, uh -huh. and he said, I'm going to go off and do some silent seconds, which was, is, like, first grade teacher taught them silent seconds, which is, you know, essentially just meditation. Got it. So he actually said, like, I'm going to go over there and meditate for a little bit. So wow. he just kind of sat and just enjoyed his surroundings, tried to be, you know, wow. present, mm -hmm. um, and did the same kind of thing um, in the woods where I, I may have suggested it because the one thing that a previous discussion that Kelly and I have kind of told him about was the one place we visited 
you know, 15 years ago between, uh, uh, on, our, on our trip on our way to Calendar was this little park on the side of the road. We just stopped. The sun was going down. There was, mm -hmm. there was no noise, no cars, no nothing between mm -hmm. the gl you know, in the glens, between the hills. And you could literally hear a pin drop. You could hear your, your blood pulsing in your ears. And that, he has said like multiple times, when I go over there, I want to go to that spot. I want to see that. I want to see what that's like. Okay. And we didn't, we didn't go anywhere near that place, but he wanted to have that kind of calm, you know, commune with nature, so to speak, mm -hmm. of just hearing, you know, no noise, just having a, a, a intense in the moment kind of experience. Okay. So those two things were probably, will probably stick with him in a different way than the castles and the hustle and bustle and, you know, walking down the street in Edinburgh and going to the pubs and that kind of stuff. Do you think you appreciate traveling there more with him now or less, or is it too different to compare pre-kid and post-kid travel? I think that we kind of planned it in a slightly different way, mm -hmm. where it's, it was more a, it wasn't what we wanted to necessarily see or what I wanted to see. It was what is going to make the most memorable experience for Liam. How is okay. he going to get to see the, you know, Kelly's family stuff? What is going to be the thing that's going to stand out to him? Let's give that to him. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just, it's planning it in a different way. Okay. So I feel, I feel like the, 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 the biggest takeaway from this trip is that there's a lot of potential hassles with the 21st century aspect of, of the travel. Um, but once you're there and once you're in it, it feeds your soul. Is that fair to say? I mean, it's worth, it's definitely worth going. Oh, <laughs> yes. The, um, you, you will get out of it what you want to put into it. Okay. So if you are, if you are there to visit your, you know, the, the sites of your ancestors, then do that and, you know, be all in on everything you do. Mm -hmm. So if you're there to see Edinburgh Castle and you want to see cities and you want to experience current day Scotland, great, go to the cities, experience current day Scotland. Okay. Um, if you want to do the historical stuff, you can do that as well. If you want to do the off the beaten path stuff, you can do that as well. If you want to go to fancy restaurants, you can do that as well. It's, you can almost have like four or five different mini experiences within one vacation. Okay. So when, when we went to a fancy restaurant, like let's go to like the coolest, best, fanciest restaurant in Oban. Great. Let's do that. Okay. Now let's go to a chippy. Now uh -huh. let's go uh -huh. to you know, do the trade show, which is a business thing, but that was something very different that Liam never did before. Uh -huh. Now let's go to a castle. Now let's go downtown shopping district in Inverness and look at the other kilt companies and the other hire companies and see how they do things. So you just curate different experiences to well-round your experience within a different culture. So trade show aside, were you tempted to spy on the Scottish kilt shops or the Scottish kilt industry? Did you do anything ah, I wouldn't on say... the sly? I wouldn't say spy. I just went into the shops. I wanted okay, to. Okay. I wanted to see. Um, I'm always curious to see how other companies and other cultures 
go at Highlandware. Uh -huh. So okay. and see what the similarities are and what the differences are. I want to know why I, boots on the ground. I want to see the Scottish experience of going to buy a kilt or looking at kilts and exploring their heritage or exploring, you know, their for their wedding or whatever it is okay. versus the American experience of it. Um, so it's it things kind of fall into two camps of either a bigger box feeling store like Slange or McCall's or Slater's like Highland or like higherware or or contemporary looking okay. or old timey um, you know crafty you know, individual kilt makers okay. like Ben Wivis or like Chisholm's or you mm. know, other small kilt makers um, who have a, a more personal approach. Okay. So it's it's neat to see the differences in their shops, how they how they market things, how they have things in the window, how they display things. Um, again, back to the you know it's it's a much smaller you know most of the spaces are smaller, so their stores tend to be smaller, so they go up vertical more than spread out okay. across the okay. store. So you have things all the way up the wall. Mm -hmm. um, it's just it's neat to see. You know, like like companies like Chisholm's, how they've been there for forever. It's mm -hmm. an institution, mm -hmm. so it's neat to see how they do it. And in, in 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 some ways, it's like stepping back in time. Like their cases are okay. have been there for like their old old wooden cases that you can tell have like character. It's not just you know, it's just it's neat seeing all the differences and and you know going to authentic shops over there and seeing kind of how we fit into that equation and serve our customers in in some of the same ways and in completely different ways in other ways. Wow, that's cool. That's awesome. Agreed. So, yeah. So you feel like you're part of a tradition. Yes. Okay. It's, it's, I'm, we're part of the evolution of a tradition. Okay. And it's, in some ways, it's kind of confirmed the things that have, I've, a thought or known or been told to have been true by the Scots that I've interacted with on why Scottish people are buying kilts or interested in buying kilts mm -hmm. and you know their experience in that same way is different than it is in the diaspora whether that's America whether that's Australia whether it's Canada it's we all have different cultural backgrounds um, different reasons for doing things like Canada you know, they're they have kilted regiments so there may be that angle to them retailing kilts. There's a okay. stronger, uh, a stronger root of that mm -hmm. within their culture in Canada. Obviously, that's not true here in the U.S. for the most part. Right. Um, versus Australia, which is you know penal colony, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> um, and th the reasons why they want to wear the kilt, or why people in Germany want to wear it. Got it. Um, so it's it's neat to see where the concentric circles overlap and where they are completely different. Okay. So, did you take Liam to hunt for Nessie? Did you... Yes, we did go on Loch Ness. They have, <laughs> okay, okay. Um, they have boat tours there, um, a bunch of different boat tour companies. You can, you know, they go every single day. Of course. Um, and the the captains of the boats uh, are, they're creating, it's their kind of tour guides while you're on the water. Yeah. Okay. So, a, a lot of places either just tour Loch Ness or they'll tour Loch Ness, drop you off at Urquhart Castle. And then you get back in about an hour, you jump back on the boat, and then they take you back. Okay. Um, 
So, you know, they'll, they were told us all about Nessie and all the different Nessie sightings. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. I know Liam was, was very excited to learn that the, uh, uh, there's a 20,000 pound reward for video or pictorial evidence of Nessie <laughs> existing. So he okay. was looking, hunting for Nessie in that way. Um, <laughs> it's all about the reward money. Um, the, uh, so that was fun. And we, but he, they also talked about like the bomber that went down in Loch Ness and was oh, yeah. raised back up. Yeah, they talked yeah. about the guy who was trying to do the uh, water speed record mm. who died on Loch Ness mm -hmm. uh, in a, a high-speed boat um, trying to break the record. Um, so it's it, a lot of little factoids. That was kind of cool, um, but it wasn't an overwhelming, you know, I have to tell you all the things. It was okay. just, you know, a 20-minute a tour on the way there, and you got a good bit of information about the stuff that you were going to see. Um, then you get off at uh, Urquhart Castle and walk around. Now that's really more of a ruin than it is yeah. a, a standing functioning castle like mm -hmm. Stirling Castle. That's mm -hmm. probably Stirling and Edinburgh Castle, probably the best two you know, examples Preserve. of yeah, yeah. existing castles, exactly. Um, but Urquhart Castle is neat and you get to see, um, what the hell do you get to see there? Rocks. Yeah. <laughs> The Urquhart Castle is neat. You still get to go through the ruins, and there's still bits of the tower left, and you get to crawl down a, or walk down a little tiny spiral staircase, and you bump okay. your head and stuff. Okay, okay. Um, and they also have a huge friggin' trebuchet um, example oh, really? right there as well. Okay. You can kind of take okay. a look at when you walk up to the visitor center and mm -hmm. get your coffee, get your tea, and then head back down to the boat. They have the trebuchets so they can uh, take pot shots at Nessie exactly. when they see her. Yeah, got it. The, the interesting thing that they uh, they explained on the boat tour as well is that if you look down into the water of Loch Ness, uh -huh. it's it's one of the longer bodies of water in Scotland, mm -hmm. and it's also it's but it's not the widest. It's only one point seven meters. It's really deep, a mile and a half wide. It's super super deep. Right. Um, but it's black if you look down at it, and when you actually look at the water along the shoreline, it's really like tea colored. Huh. And the reason it's tea colored is because of all the peat in the mountains. So the rainwater washes through the peat and pulls that color into mm -hmm. Loch Ness. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So it yep. is a, uh, it's a freshwater loch and then it actually sends the water out through River Ness out into you know, the northern part of Scotland up to, Loch, or up to, uh, up to Inverness. Okay. But uh, okay. yeah, cool. it's, it's, a, it's a neat, very, very dark body of water and it was just... I didn't understand why until he said about you know washing the peat color in, and I'm like, oh, that really makes sense. Now I get it. Mm -hmm. That's the peat that preserved the uh, Glen Affric. Glen Affric tartan. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. That's cool. That's very cool. So, any other castles do you go to, or any other important sites? Uh, on our last day, we traveled down the left side or the western side of Loch Ness and came down through Fort William and went to Appen, which is where Castle Stalker was. Okay. Uh, is um, and it's January, so everything is, of course, closed. Mm -hmm. um, but we ran into a local lady who was walking her dog essentially along the beach um, kind of area. And we're like, are we allowed to go like, down there? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're fine, you're fine. So we, Kelly and I had been there years ago mm -hmm. and didn't actually figure out how to get down to the beach right across from Castle Stalker. Oh. Um, but there's a, a little pub um, that's right that backs up to the beach essentially. Okay. Um, so we parked there, they were closed, um, but we parked there and kind of walked back down there when we saw this lady talking to us. 
and or, so I met this lady, talked to her, and then uh, she said, yeah, yeah, you're fine, just go out on the beach, walk around. So it's the amount of kelp that's there is crazy. Um, they have a, uh, <clears throat> but it's, it's a neat castle that was built in what, 1440, I think it was. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's you, you okay. have to know that it's there. It's, you know, Appen is not much of a, an area for tourists or anything like that. You, you're going there for this thing. Okay. Um, it sits essentially between Fort William and Oban. But uh, it's it's a beautiful, serene little inlet right, right on uh, Loch Linny, um, and it's yeah, it's it's the for those who like Monty Python, it's Castle Arg yep. at the end yep. of the movie. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's a neat little thing, and it was cool to be able to you know show Liam, well, this is your you know your family was steward of Avon. This is where your family came from before mm -hmm. they came over to the U.S. Yeah. This was. You know, the castle that was lost in a bet to a Campbell and it, like they yep. go through the entire history of it so it was neat to be able to you know give that experience to him and then uh, at, when the pub opened up at four o'clock um, we went in there and you know they weren't serving dinner at the time or, or food or anything but we were mm -hmm. able to you know get a drink before we uh, took off for the evening down to open so we were able to uh, Exactly. Come scotch, <laughs> just sit there. No, it's it's this tiny little pub that's been there for a couple hundred years. Mm. Little wood stove. They have you know, Bonnie, a picture of Bonnie Prince Charlie hanging on the wall. Classic. And Classic. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, like you do. Okay. It's it's neat okay. to see how the history is preserved and you know those sensibilities, shall we say, those okay. those those feelings are preserved in certain areas. Wow. Uh, in the Highlands, still. Once you get out of the city. Yep. Kinda. Okay. So the further away from the city you get, the more time just kind of slows down and then it starts going backwards. Exactly. <laughs> That's cool. That's very cool. Thanks for joining us. The intro music for Tartan Talk is Irish Coffee by Giorgio De Campo. If you want to get social with other kilt enthusiasts, go check out the Kilts and Culture group over on Facebook. You can find USA Kilts on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or over at our website, usakilts.com. If you like the show, it would really mean a lot to us if you left a rating since it helps new people find our show. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, Slanjava.